Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome to another edition of the On The Forecheck podcast. Happy Monday, everybody. I'm Nick Morgan, joined by the Eric Branson to my Ben Harper, Sean Smith. Sean, how's it going, buddy? Oh, I'll, I'll take that comparison. I'll, <laughs> I'll right. take it all day. <laughs> I mean, it's the tall bearded men. Well, I guess in your, I guess in your case, it's just the bearded men. The bearded men. In. Yep. Oh, he's he's quite handsome. I'm, you know, I'll take it. They really both are, in a way. They kind of got the chiselness going on. Oh uh, yeah, well you know Harper. Uh, I don't know. It's uh, far be it for me to start ranking the uh, super hunks of the Preds, but you know there's uh there's a few things to be desired with Ben Harper, but it's fine. I don't know. I relate to him because I feel like I have his like same uh <laughs> kind of receding but not quite <laughs> totally receded hairline. Yeah. Uh, kind of the Paul Gostad look from Ooh. a few years back. Well, that's that's handsome right there. Yeah, we need uh we need Alex Daughtry here on the show to weigh in on that once again one of these days. Uh but Sean, I, I wanna start the show uh to address something that happened on this podcast last week. Okay. Now you might remember you asked a question. Oh it's and, possible. I say a lot that, of things. And that question was is there any team you don't want to play in the first round? And I said, no, not really, because <laughs> I think any first round matchup's going to be tough. So whatever happens, happens. Sean, if it's okay with you, I would like to go back and amend. I think that's that answer. I, I think not only is it fine, I think it's the right thing to do. Yes, because dear God, do the Carolina Hurricanes have a real shot at something special this year? Well, they sure and, do. And I think we found that firsthand uh, this past weekend. It was intense. That's that's really the only word I have for the whole experience of those two games was intensity. Big time. Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to pull up like the natural stat uh, trick lines, but... It was it was what twenty four to seven shot wise in the first period. I think they, our... I think they ended up giving them another shot because I, I was trying to run numbers on Twitter and I said they were on pace for seventy two, but then I think it went up to to twenty five shots so would be on pace for they gave the seventy five. Hur- okay, I was gonna say they gave the Hurricanes another shot. Well, yeah, yeah. It, it it was something like what like forty shot attempts in the first period, which is like was, insane. No, it was there was something next level going on there. Yeah, I mean, but but it drives home the point that, um, for you know for for as much parity as there is in the league, I, I think it's safe to say there are some teams that you know talent wise not better or worse. But they, they just don't match up right. Right. And, and I think we're seeing that with the Preds and Hurricanes uh, the past two games where, 
you know, it's not like, you know, Carolina as like individual talent is just way better. It's just their style of play is not something the Preds are equipped to handle. No. And I think the style of play specifically is just the speed. It's, I remember a couple of, a couple of seasons, maybe it was last season before the, uh, before the shutdown. Um, I was, I was talking about how it seemed like the predators as a team, you know, and again, this is, this is last season, totally different team, totally different. And yeah, I mean, they had Heinz at the time, but they were still kind of reeling from all of the post Laviolette stuff uh, within the team and the style of play. But uh, man, it's like you couldn't, they couldn't do anything when it came to playing a team, even like uh, Edmonton, that's got a lot of speedy players. Um, it, again, you, yeah, I know they had like their top guys and you can say what you want, but it, it, that's only a few guys. And it seemed like across the board, the speed just absolutely demolished the Predators. And when you say speed, I, I think to make it clear, it's not like, you know, we're the Preds are slow as molasses. Cause I mean, you know, no. that's like Victor Arvidsson's fast. But, I mean, there's a difference between just being, like, a fast, quick skater and all five guys on the ice playing with speed. Right. It, it, it's killer. And there's really no – you know, you and I were talking about this kind of in our group chat the other day. Like, how do you defend that? Yeah. I, I don't know if you do unless the answer is just get more speed. Well, you know, it's interesting that – we talked so much about neutral zone play against Tampa Bay in that last game and how successful the Preds were at dominating the neutral zone. But it seemed like they just couldn't get it together to do that against the Hurricanes because they were so much faster across the board. It does. And that's where you need your speed right there because there's a lot of transition game. You know, you're, you're trying to go past you know, some of the defenders in the neutral zone, you're trying to beat guys to the puck on a dump and chase. There's, there's a lot to happen there. And the predators just couldn't get anything through the zone. I think that was the big thing Yeah, where it was, you know, all, all it took was a couple of good skating moves by Carolina and then boom, like, you know, your, your path to the offensive zone is completely clogged. And I, I don't, and, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but um, I, I know, and I, I don't want to jump ahead too much, but I know we're looking ahead to Chicago here this upcoming week. Are They're not as fast as Carolina, are they? No, no, no okay. I don't think so. I mean, and it's like the same thing. They have fast players, but as a team, like there's a difference between like Patrick Kane being a once in a generational skater and you know, being able to blow by guys and stick handle past guys. And then there's a difference between that and, you know, five guys who are able to, you know, go full speed without breaking a stride, but still make that great pass into space. That's Carolina to me. Yeah. You lost me at five guys. I'm kind of hungry. And now I'm thinking about burgers. I'm sorry. Uh, if you're going to go five guys, talk about the fries. Well, I, what I like about what I like about that is if you order fries, they don't just put them in a little container. They just throw a bunch of fries in the bag. Like we're just throwing fries in there. The fries will insulate the burgers. Well, the best thing is they do put it in the container. It's like that small cup with yeah. like fries in it, but then there's like fifty thousand fries up top. Like it's like it's almost like a happy meal toy where it's just they <laughs> give you like the little cup as a it's like a consolation joke cup. prize. 
Yeah, exactly. This, this cup is clearly not the right size for the fries we're trying to give you, so we're just going to throw them all in. Exactly. Oh, it it broke. All Oops. right, we'll just we'll just throw it on top of your foil wrapped burgers. Yes, uh, I like that. Making me hungry at uh, ten o'clock at night right now. Probably not a good sign. Sorry. Uh, yeah, I'm looking through the. I, I found the the stat line. It was uh, in in terms of Corsi, 47 shot attempts for Carolina to 11 in just that first period. Carolina wound up with 88 shot attempts that game. That's nuts. Uh, yeah, I mean that's that's ridiculous level. I mean, there's there's a lot of you know, uh, for people who don't follow stats that much, I would say like 50 to 60 is probably average for an entire game. Yeah. So when you're hitting almost 50 in one period, dear god, you're either doing something very right or the other team is doing something very wrong. Well, you'd think though. I mean, what was the what was the final score? Remind me. Final score was three to one. Three to one, and so one of those goals was an empty net goal, right? Yes. You're really only looking at two goals scored on Soros. Yes, and that led me to the topic I wanted to make. How ugly would that game have been if UC Soros hasn't been on the tear he's been on lately? It would have been. Uh, well, you know, the Preds have had some wins recently that were pretty one-sided, and I'm pretty sure it would have just been one of those going the other way. Yeah, and it's one of those things where, you know, the debate, it's like, oh, well, you know, one goalie's not going to be able to, you know, keep it up, or, you know, this this play is not sustainable. I mean, it's not, but the the argument to be made is when you have a hot goalie, and, you know, we say, well, anything can happen if you have a hot goalie. I mean, look at the Preds last month. I mean, yeah. for as for as good as the team has played, for as better as they've been uh, from now until like the first part of the year. I mean, UC Saros has been the difference maker. Big time. I, I don't think you have that success that, that they've had without Saros being oh, hot. Nowhere close. No. And, you know, I... I think it's it's a really hard topic for me. I'm, I'm sure it is for you. I'm sure it is. I mean, it's hard to talk about. I think it's hard to hear, too, is that, you know, when you say how bad would that be without Soros, you know, what are you really saying? You know, you're saying how bad would it have been if Pecorine was playing? And that's hard for me to discuss. That's that it's emotionally hard. It's difficult, you know, to say we can't necessarily rely on Pecorine to do the same thing that Soros is doing right now. Um, so it's a really good thing we have Soros, but you know, that's, we went through a period of time where Soros was injured and Pecorine came in and he, he played a lot better um, in that situation than, than I think we, we had seen toward the beginning of the season. But uh, does he have that in him if something happens to Soros again? I mean, to your point, he was playing better, but it was also one of those things where, okay, is this just a hot stretch or is, or is this going to be vintage Pecorine where he's able to play ungodly levels of hockey for, you know, two, three months and will the predators into playoffs have no business being in. I don't think that Pecorine is there anymore, but I do like the thought that Pecorine can come in and still steal a game you know, obviously because of where the Predators are uh, and not trying to get ahead of ourselves and the topic of conversation rundown. But I, I think you're going to see UC Saros play 
pretty much every game from here on out. Yeah, I that makes sense. And and I'll tell you too, you know, you mentioned and again, it's not fun to talk about. Nobody wants to hear it. You mentioned Pecorine not not being able to come in and play that way for a sustained period of time. Is what you're saying that he's not as good as he once was, but he's as good once as he ever was? Yes. And I think you've seen it this year. You know, he's, uh, without saying too much, I think we can all agree, Pecorine is is not prime Pecorine. Um but that, but that's okay. He's late thirties. This is, he's right now in the role he probably should be in. But at the same time, we have seen a lot of games this year where it's been vintage Pekka and, you know, not, not just, you know, putting in a high number of saves, but kind of getting those saves that you really shouldn't make. Yeah. You know, like one of the, like, you know, you know, if you get like, you know, 40 shots on goal and you let in four, you know, I don't think anybody is really blaming you for that loss, but right. there's also, you know, if you're dive, if you allow one goal and you're like diving across the net and save and, you know, you're, you're taking away those quote unquote easy goals. That's how you steal games. Right. Peck has done that this year. He, we, he yeah. hadn't really done that the past couple of years, but he's done that this year in small doses, of course. Yeah, I you're exactly right, but I'll tell you, I was I was just making a Toby Keith joke. Um you took it very seriously and it was a very good answer. Uh I don't listen to Toby Keith. Well, I I never do it voluntarily, but sometimes things happen, you know. I mean, if you were going to say uh talk about I or me or I don't know. I I know that's like the only Toby Keith song I know besides the like the one that's like so patriotic, you can just see like Big Mac shooting out of his dumb little cowboy hat whenever he sings it. <laughs> that's what, that's America. That, yeah, the the boot in your ass. God bless yeah. USA. <laughs> I I don't know. To, like if Toby Keith, if you're listening to the on the Forecheck podcast, I'm sorry. Uh, I just don't know your music that well. I th- I think he would say that's okay. You know, I mean, you can't expect everyone to know your music. At least you know the important ones, right? Oh, for sure. I mean, if if Reba McIntyre wanted to give us a shout out on air, uh, that that'd be fine. I I'm gonna be straightforward. If if anyone just moderately famous wanted to give us a shout out. I think it would be fine. I wouldn't complain. And and Toby Keith, if you're listening, um, just you know, uh, just shout, holler out, uh, say something. Just be like, hey guys, just appreciate the show. Um, go America. And I'm well. I'm he's happy. not. He's not going to say that now after well, the past two minutes of conversation. Well, you know, it's you, you don't know. He's probably a very understanding um, and benevolent man. And he's he's probably just full of kindness. So, well, Ben Harper was probably going to give us a shout out until he heard your handsome comment, and then uh, he wants nothing to do with us now. Yeah, probably, probably at this right. point, half the Preds want nothing to do with us, but we'll yeah. we'll keep on trucking along. But, but no, but you know there there is a point there, and it's what's hard is that if if we were going to do a podcast where we 
just it was just extravagant praise only. Um, I don't think it would get a very decent audience. And so it's, it's you know, I, I enjoy watching National Predators hockey. Um, but, you know, it's it's one of those things. Sometimes you have to be realistic about situations and it doesn't necessarily mean it's it's going to be the most popular thing. Um, you know, it's it's OK, though. Right. Well, speaking of being honest about the Predators, uh, like we mentioned, playoff uh, prospects are getting a little more hazy than they were uh, yeah. right now. Uh, they have exactly 10 games left to play in this season. Unless I'm doing math horribly wrong. No, you're right. Oh, I'm right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I was just quickly glancing at the standings, so who knows? Uh, they have 49 points. I'm not even going to tell you how far behind that they are uh, Florida and Tampa Bay, because I don't think they're going to catch them. No one is. No. Uh, but the, the big number for fans to realize is they're only two points ahead of Chicago. Chicago has a game in hand. Uh, they are also now only three points ahead of the Dallas Stars. The Dallas Stars have three games in hand, and they're six, two, and two in their last ten. So they're starting to find their groove at the right time. Yeah, you know, and I, I, you know, it's funny you mentioned like, well, there's people who aren't that familiar with stats and and all that stuff. And you know, I'm not a super big stat head, but I, I really do enjoy looking at uh, Micah Blake McCurdy stuff on ineffective math. And one of the things he always has up there are the uh, playoff probabilities. And, you know, I'd, I'd been tracking, I'm, I'm going to look it up right now, actually, since we're talking about it, but I'd been tracking and kind of keeping up with how much the Predators chances change based on, you know, one night of games. And it has really just come back to even and it's like a, I think there's like maybe a tenth of a percent difference between the Predators' chances and the Stars' chances. Um, yeah, I just found it right now. And here's what it is. You know, you've got in the Central, Carolina, Tampa Bay, and Florida, all at 99.9 something. Um, you know, looking farther down that list, you've got Columbus and Detroit pretty much statistically eliminated. Chicago is carrying a 13.6 chance. And then Dallas has 43.3% and Nashville has 43.1%. And that was like a, like over the last two games, the Predators went from like 65% to Dallas's like 20. And it's just two losses, two wins, and then boom, it's a dead heat. And it's, it's funny because we're talking more about Chicago, especially with them up, coming up. But the reason I think they're ranked so low, if you look at their remaining schedule, two games against Dallas, three games against Carolina, Game against two games against Florida, game against Tampa Bay, and then the other three are against the Predators. So once they get through the Predators, you're, they're only facing the top of the league. And I don't, I don't just mean division; I mean league because those three teams are ridiculous. Well, I think you're also probably seeing a little bit of why Chicago is right now even in the playoff hunt. Yeah, because they haven't had all those games. Uh, and you know. But I think people are talking about this next series against Chicago, uh, which is our next topic, by the way. Um, but people are talking about this series in Chicago because it's the biggest chunk of, you know, I guess you'd say the biggest chunk of, of playoff pasture that's left to mow right now. Yeah. 
I mean, the Preds, for all intents and purposes, can more or less knock the Blackhawks out of the picture. Yeah. With with three wins. And at the same time, if the, if the Preds... Well, you know what? I'll I'll ask you this. How many games of this series do you think the Predators absolutely have to win? Well, you know, it's a good question. And I think the reason that that's a good question is because they do need to win the games because that prevents Chicago from gaining on them and really extends the difference. But, you know, the bad thing is the Predators are done playing against the Stars. And that's really the team. Well, they have, they they have one game for. left against. Oh, the they stars. do. On, no, on really? May first. Yeah. You're kidding. Yeah, May first. Oh. Oh, at, look at, at that. home. I believe this at is home. one of those uh, um, early games that were canceled. Yeah. Okay. Uh, it was either for COVID or uh, the storm outage. Now I've got like three different schedules I'm looking at, so that's never good. But. Um, yeah, you know, you've got, okay. So they've got one game left against Dallas. That's a must win game. Um, for, for sure. That's a must win game. So you want, you want that to kind of, you want that moment when, when you play against Dallas, that's where you want to say, okay, this cements the fact that we've got the spot. Um, you know, you've got two games after that against Columbus and then two games to close the season against Carolina. So you kind of, you have to look at those games against Chicago as, you know, and you said, how many do you absolutely have to win? I think you need to win at least two of them. Um, you're a lot better off if you win all three of them. But, you know, that's – I mean, can you can you go completely undefeated against Chicago this season? I mean, Tampa Bay couldn't even do that against the Predators this season. So, you know, it, it's – you would like to think that they can pull that off. I would like to think they can pull it off. I think they can pull it off. Um, but I'd say must win is two games. Well, here's, I guess, another wrinkle in that argument, because this is Dallas's schedule. Uh, four consecutive games against the Red Wings this week. Oh. Monday, Tuesday uh, in Dallas, and then Thursday, Saturday in Detroit. Mm. Now, now, their schedule does pick up a little bit after that. They have two games against Carolina, uh, a game against Tampa before playing uh, us, Nashville. And then they have a games against Florida, two against Tampa, and two against Chicago to close the year. So, you know, but so I mean, there are some tough games on the horizon for them. But this, they have four straight against Detroit, and then close with two against Chicago. Not exactly the toughest schedule. So, I mean, if you if you say that Dallas is playing as well as they have, and they still have three games in hand on Nashville, you know, Dallas can make up some ground this week too they can and i think though you know the reality is with one game left against dallas i mean every game um that's an opportunity to get two points and as long as you keep getting two points then you're staying ahead of the competition um i i guess the thing though i noticed this and this is this is really odd but do you know what the predators have right before dallas you have three uh, no. days off, three days off in a row. Interesting. Yeah. And it's, those are day like those are home games against Florida on Monday and Tuesday. And they have Wednesday through Friday off. And then they play Dallas at home on Saturday. I mean, that's, you want to talk about a team being well rested and having a chance to work on some stuff. You know, they could really come into that game ready to go. When does Dallas play Tampa Bay 
um, before the Predators. You said they have them right before the Predators. What day is it? Oh, I really wish you would ask that before I closed out my tab. Well, I will uh, open up mine. They, they do. They have they have one game uh, the week before, or no, the the like the week of. So like the, they play the Predators on a Saturday. Mm-hmm. They play uh, Tampa on Thursday. So they're okay. So you know, and are they playing Tampa on the road? They are. So they're on the middle of a road trip at that point, and then they've got one day of recovery. So it could really, you know, those are two teams that play what I like to call big boy hockey and you know, they could beat each other up well enough. The stars come in worn down. I'll take that. Uh, the other thing is that's interesting with the Dallas schedule is they play uh, their last home game of the season on April 27th. Wow. And then after that, they have, they have seven road games to end the year. Oh yeah. So so to your point there's going to be uh there's going to be some travel, there's going to be some tiredness. Also this is going to be you know kind of an example that we we really haven't seen this year but uh with with covid cancellations and you know Dallas also had some severe weather emergencies earlier this year. Yeah. We're kind of getting into that weird uh team playing an insane amount of games to end the year to make up from all the earlier games that got canceled. Uh, so Dallas is going to be a prime example of that. And, you know, they're, they're not the first team to, you know, play a lot of games in a short amount of time. I mean, that happens every year, but they're, they're playing uh, progressively more than every other team, probably besides like Vancouver. Um, so that's going to be something to watch out for is, you know, is Dallas going to get banged up down the stretch? Whereas the Preds who have for the most part done a pretty good job of, you know, not having any games moved or canceled. Yeah. Um, you know, there, there's going to be a chance, as you mentioned for the Predators to maybe be a little more well-rested. Yeah. And I, th- and I think that's, that's a big deal. I think that's a big deal. There's a lot of games. And you say that the stars have three games in hand while well, they also have the same amount of time to play them. So a lot more hockey going on for them. A lot more opportunities for, you know, people to get banged up, injured, worn down, all that stuff. Well, speaking of getting banged up and get injured, guess who's been banged up and injured this year? Um, mostly everyone on the Predators. Yes. Uh, and, but the good news is players are starting to slowly and surely come back. Uh, we saw Matt Duchesne make his return to the lineup. Yes. Uh, last Saturday, it was Saturday, right? Yeah. It wasn't. Yeah. It wasn't Thursday. Okay. Yeah, he came back Saturday. Uh, Eric Gabranson also made his Preds debut. He did. Uh, what? Let's let's start with the uh, the the hot topic after the trade deadline. Uh, what do you think of Gabranson? First game. Okay. You know, here's the thing. I I try not to be all sky is falling. You know, there's nothing left to lose kind of, you know, that, that reaction. I don't, I don't know that that's really productive. And so I said before the game, I'm going to give him a fair, fair chance. Um, and you know, I didn't see him do anything that made me go, Oh no, this is horrible. And maybe I, I mean, I watched the whole game. Maybe there's things I didn't see, but I did see him make some really strong defensive plays in the neutral zone. Um, which I was pretty happy about. So I'm not going to sit here and say that he is the, uh, 
the next Norris Trophy winner, but I'm going to say that he seems to be just fine. Oh, you know, there's a certain contingent of players that you don't want to be noticeable. That's their role. Um, yeah. I, I think the best way to describe it is like when you put them on the ice and nothing happens and people kind of have like negative connotations of that. Right. Um, but I mean, you know, they're not doing anything offensively, but they're not letting the other team really do anything either. Right. That that's, I think maybe what you could get out of Eric Gibranson and on the best day. I mean, that's what you really want from your entire bottom pair. Right. Um, and what, what was the famous thing you used to say last year when, you know, Weber and, um, Irwin, we're kind of getting everybody's ire. Were there, were there famous things I was saying last season? (laughs) Yeah. The the point, the thing you always said, um, Yannick Weber is a kind man and an excellent chef. Hold on. Yes. There's that. Okay. You, you always remind me. You always said we're spending more time talking about them. Oh yeah, playing time than they're getting playing time. You shouldn't spend more time talking about a player than they than they are on the ice on any given night. And I, I, yeah, but but why did we start talking about Irwin and Weber last year? Um, because they were noticeable. Yes, yes, and so there there was the role. That's that that's the thing about the bottom pair is and and. You know, we, we're talking about it now because there's a very intense conversation on either side. You know, right. some people are like, a, you know, a good, you know, if, if your bottom pair sucks, your entire defense sucks. Yeah. You know, you know, other people are like, oh, well, you know, what do you expect them to be Roman Yossi? Right. You're not. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, yeah. there's but but it's funny. And, the you know, the truth is it, it's somewhere right in the middle of it. You you had a very good uh, a way of putting it earlier this week, where you know really it's just you know your sixth defenseman is just out there to cut down on the playing time yes. your your top four guys get. Well, and that's that's been that was a big point at the beginning of the season with the addition of Borvietsky and Binning was the idea behind their signing and spending a little bit more money on that on that third pairing than they had previously spent in years past was let's get a couple of guys in here um, that have some defensive upside as opposed to just being a pylon um, that can eat up some minutes and take them away from guys like Yossi and Ellis and Ekholm and Fabro. So they're not on the ice 26, 27 minutes a night. And I think what's gone overlooked in the acquisition of good Branson is that he was averaging 18 minutes a night. And that's a lot more than you were seeing um, in previous seasons with the Predators third pairing. Yeah, I think when we were like looking at playoff stats last year, uh, Jared Tenorti only averaged like maybe about seven minutes of ice time in that Arizona series. Yeah. Uh, Weber, who was playing with him, averaged, I think, around 10, maybe a little more, maybe a little less, but... But then you look over at Arizona and, you know, their defensive depth's not as good as Nashville, but you had Jordan Osterley playing like 16 minutes. And, right. You know, that's when you're able to give like Jacob Chikrin a, a rest for a while and Oliver Ekman Larson a rest. 
I mean, there is something to be said for pride that, hey, Roman Yossi can go out there for 30 minutes and still look awesome and play awesome the entire game. But at the same time, you know, you you want to preserve him long term. And, you know, you, you want we, we've kind of seen it this year, like things happen with yeah. your defense. You had Fabro get suspended. You had Ryan Ellis out for a while. Uh, you want somebody who's going to be able to go out there and, you know, play 18, 19 minutes if he has to. Right. Um, so I think that was kind of my thing last year with, with the third pair is it just seemed like they're kind of more of a, well, these are our two best remaining defensemen. Uh, we don't really trust them, but we need somebody to fill the bottom pair. There you go. Yeah, and somebody has to be out there. Yes, um, all all seven minutes they play. Um, but but I agree. I think that one one guy I really want to make bring up is Matt Benning. I mean, yeah. Matt Benning to me has been a very under under the radar pickup this year. Uh, I think so. He, you you've seen it the past couple of games when he's been paired with Yossi. I mean, granted, everybody plays well with Yossi, but that's right. another example. A guy who is a perennial third pair uh you don't really notice him a whole lot but i mean he stepped up his game when the predators have asked him to yeah no exactly and i I just i was curious i was really really curious i just jumped over to take a look at uh at, at the time on ice from that game um yossi was on the ice uh total let's see total uh Looks like 22 minutes, 48 seconds. Um, Benning was bad. on there. No, it's it's not. Uh, the two, the most amount of time was uh, Eckholm and Ellis, but it's probably because they spent time on both the uh, on the penalty kill and the power play. Yossi spent about three minutes on the power play. Um, but Benning had 16 minutes, 14 seconds, spent three minutes on the penalty kill. Good Branson. 1540 and that's that's a pretty big deal and and Harper was uh 12 and a half minutes on the ice so you're you're seeing someone come in that's able to play and he look he played 15 minutes and 40 seconds I think he was on the ice for a goal um against a goal against obviously but you know I mean I don't necessarily think it was his fault or I think I would have remembered it and at the same time, and the it, internet would have remembered it. The yeah, it would have would have been hurled around like you know um, the hot potato of blame, um, and it would have landed squarely in his lap, and it hasn't. So that tells me that he played 15 minutes and 40 seconds, allowed Yossi to take a little bit of a rest, um, and that's that's what you want out of somebody like Good Branson. And if he's doing that, then I think that's great. You know, it's funny. We spent so much time uh, talking about Gabranson's first game this past Saturday. Everybody forgot Matt Duchesne also happened to come oh, back. That's right. Yeah, that's that right. guy. The the guy we're paying $8 million a year to come play hockey for. The return of the Matt. That's right. Yeah. Um, You know, decent return. I mean, I think it's like, I, I know that for a couple of reasons that we're probably going to touch on here in a second that I think anything a returning player like Duchesne does is going to be under the microscope, but yeah, you know, he was also out for what was it wound up being about a month, a little over a month and a half. 
Oh uh, yeah, um, I think so. Maybe so, was it five weeks? Yeah, five weeks. I think it was a little over a month. No. Um, but you know, he's not going to be a hundred percent. But he he made some plays. Uh, good forechecking set up you know once once the predators kind of in that middle of the second period really started to get some offense going uh he made a couple of good plays yeah um and and i think that's probably for these next you know one or two games that that's probably what just what you want for duchene is to just play like an above average game yep he's getting reacclimated. That's, yeah. that's what you got to look for is, is he, is he just going out and playing sound hockey? Because if he is, then he's doing exactly what you need him to do. You don't need him to come in and be an offensive or defensive superstar on his first game back. You just need him to, to be out, go out there and get used to game speed again. And it shouldn't take long, but that's all you're really looking for. Of course not. Um, I mean, you can say that for, for a lot of players and, and sure, I, I think, as the weeks turn, you're going to want your $8 million player to kind of be more of a don't screw anything up to take control of the game mode. Right. Um, but, you know, Saturday Saturday was fine for Matt Duchesne. Yeah, I have, I have no complaints. I think he was just fine. Yeah. Well, we brought up the concern because chemistry is, is the hot button topic for Pred's Twitter. Um and there is there is some truth to be said for that. Um, oh, hey, so, hold on. This is important. Oh, my goodness. I was looking at numbers. Now, I know that's not my normal thing, but guess who had the most takeaways on the entire team on Saturday? Matt Duchesne. Matt Duchesne. He had three. All right. And guess how many giveaways he had? Zero. Zero. That's pretty good. The thing for Matt Duchesne to me is that you know, I, I don't, I'm not a big like micro stats person uh, because I think at some point you have to, you know, look at how many goals are actually going in the net because right. that's how games are won and lost. Right. But at the same time, it's like you look at the stats and Matt Duchesne is far from the the biggest problem. I mean, you even watch him on film and you can see that Matt Duchesne is far from the biggest problem. Well, that's, you know, not necessarily what a lot of people would say, though. I think regardless, he's going to get a lot of get a lot of grief from people. And I think it's mainly related to the fact that he's not showing up in the goals column. For sure. I mean, I would say part of that is him being snake bitten. I mean, I know that's that's a word people hate. (laughs) Um, and, And I get it because it's, you know, if you're. You can say they're snake bitten. Somebody else can say they're not good at finishing. Um, and there, there's probably some truth in that. Um, but at the same time, you know, I guess here's my big takeaway. You don't need p- people to score like 70, 80, 90 points per year. You just need them to help you win. That's that's a very good point. And a lot of times, Matt Duchesne has helped the Predators win. Yeah, I mean, you, you look at the. I mean, I don't know. Three takeaways. Nobody had nobody had three takeaways on either team. I mean, that's to me that says that that's three times that he took a chance for 
the hurricanes to get into their zone and get set up away from them and turn that over to the predators and gave them a chance. That's pretty good. That's it. That's helping your team. Granted, they didn't win, but he three times, he helped shift the momentum in that game. All right. Well, are you ready to talk about chemistry now? Yeah. Going back to that. Sorry about that. I got all fired up. You're just uh, excited for numbers. No, look at me. Brian would be proud. Yes. Um, but chemistry, I think, is a uh, a little bit of a fair topic to discuss because there's been so many young players who have stepped in the lineup and have played really well, have given the Preds some good minutes, that now that you have some guys returning to the lineup, you start wondering who's going to go out, and then you start wondering about shuffling lines. And I get that argument. I, I really do. Um yeah, I'm not I'm not going to bash anybody for concerns over team chemistry. No, I you know, and interestingly, you know, what Hines was talking about a while back was he said, you know, when you have a player come out of the lineup for whatever reason, um he's looking at maintaining the identity of those lines. He's not looking to, you know, try to fit somebody where they onto a line where they don't belong. And so it's interesting now that you have the issue of, okay, well, what do we do when players come back? Because that's a totally different problem to have, albeit it's a good problem to have, is that you're getting people healthy again. So the question becomes, okay, so Matt Duchesne's ready to come back in the lineup. Where does he fit? You know, is he guaranteed a spot? Probably because he gets paid $8 million a year. I would say yes. So yeah, he's not being healthy scratched like no. some people were suggesting. Yeah, so where where do you put him? Well, I mean, okay, so he is definitely going to get to play, but are you going to put him on the first line just because it would kind of ruin the chemistry that line's had? Um, Are you going to put him on the second line just because, or do you say, you know, one of the spots where we've had a lot of different players playing is on that, on the wing, on that third line with, uh, with Halla and cousins. And they, they seem to be a line that has some, some upside both offensively and defensively. So, if you look at kind of who's stepped into that role with Rim Pitlick being the most recent, he's a fast guy that's good in transition and he's got a pretty good nose for, for the puck and getting to the puck and getting to the front of the net. Well, you know who else kind of fits that bill is Matt Duchesne. So it makes perfect sense if they would have played him there. I don't know if that's the long-term plan, but there's, there's definitely a chance that he could see a few games there before seeing if what he starts doing on that line fits better with another line. Yeah, and I, li- I like how you said identity of the lines instead of just one line, two line, three line. Because I do think people make too big of a deal about line numbers. I mean, in, in this, in modern NHL, you're playing your top three lines pretty consistently. Um, I mean, there, there's not much of a drop off between your first line and a third line for most teams. Um you know, fourth fourth line is a little bit hazy depending on your team and your depth. But, you know, if that's where Matt Duchesne winds up is quote unquote the third line, you know, if he's a fit with Holland Cousins, then by all means, play him there. Yeah. And, and you know, the, the important thing is it's like it's like two short said, you got to get in where you fit in. And if he's not going to come in and, and be a really good fit on the fourth, on the third line, uh, on the second line or the first line, you know, those are just numbers. And if you look, yeah, I guess that you could rank them by the time they spend on the ice, but it seems like 
that that fourth line, the herd line, whatever you want to call it, has been starting pretty much every game. So, you know, it, they're all going to play at some point. Some will play more than others. Everybody's got a role to play. Every line's got an identity. Well, I'm glad you brought up the identity and you mentioned the herd line because that is a textbook example of what we're talking about. Just it doesn't matter who's in there. That's 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 a line that is going to give you some meaningful minutes. I mean, we've seen it this year when Olivier got hurt. Everybody was like, uh oh, is, is the chemistry going to fall off? Is, you know, this happening? Is that going to happen? Blah, 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 blah. Tanner Janot stepped in and has played fantastic. Oh, I mean, yeah. You, you know, if you took the numbers away from those players, you really wouldn't be able to tell a difference. No, I don't think so. And I guess if you're looking at identity and again, that's, you know, you said I brought it up. That's been what Heinz has said to describe that line. And, and, you know, this, these are all his words. He's, he's looking at, I think what's best for the team and, you know, yeah. Okay. So Duchesne comes back. Does he fit with the herd line? Does his style of play fit what they would do? Are, are you asking? Well, yeah. No. No, I, I don't think so. No, no. So, I mean, what would the point be in, in trying to shoehorn him into that line? It doesn't make any sense. You know, you, you keep, I mean, arguably there is, they took Rem Pitlick out of the lineup. He's probably a player with a lot more offensive upside than the guys playing on the herd line. But why do you take him out? Because you take out somebody when you put someone back in that kind of matches that identity. There's no reason to start messing around with that fourth line if you've got somebody to put in that doesn't fit on that fourth line. I guess, I guess I'm trying to make – there's a point I'm trying to make. I'm not sure if it's clear or not. There is, and let me see if I can try to lead into that a little bit. Okay. Is the point that for the last several years, pre-Hines, it seemed like the Predators were just – stacking players and not having line identity. It, I mean, it seems like it to me, but at the same time, LaViolette wasn't someone who was going to give you a very good explanation on why he was doing what he was doing. He was just, no, but I mean, when you have like Kyle Turris on the fourth line, Kyle Turris isn't a fourth line player. No, even, even from like the standpoint of, Oh, well we just want some, some scoring on our fourth line. You know, you put him with, Colton Sissons, who's a defensive stalwart, and Austin Watson, who, quite frankly, they just never figured out how to use. Right. But, you know, that that's the thing. We we saw that, I think a very good example of that was, was it 2019, uh, when they got Mikhail Granlund, Wayne Simmons, Ryan Boyle. Uh, you know, they just kind of acquired players and and stacked the lines and we're just like, okay, well these are just four collection of players we're rolling out. Yeah. No, Uh, I will. Yeah. I will say that about Heinz is it seems like he's going more for how he wants each group to play in a certain situation, like how he envisions using his third line, how he envisions using his like quote unquote checking line, his grit line. Right how he envisions using his third defensive pair right. as opposed to, well, here's just a stack of players. Let's figure out how to make them work. Well, 
it, you know, there, not to say that there weren't lines with an identity under La Violette because you had the Jofa line. That was clearly a line that was supposed to be your dominant scoring line. And, and you also had what, well, what would you call it? The, uh, <laughs> I don't think any of the nicknames ever really took off, but the Benino line from last year with Craig Smith and Rocco Grimaldi, that line had an identity. It's just that those are the only two lines with an identity. I think it's a lot easier now to see that there's an identity for every line. I think you're right. And I think that's a big change from, I would say really a big, a big change from the beginning of the season. Yeah. Um, that that's been a noticeable thing. And, you know, it's going to be interesting when, when people like Ellie Tolvin and Philip Forsberg come back, you know, if they're going to kind of wind up in the spots they were, or if, you know, certain players playing better and certain young players stepping up is going to cause Heinz to kind of see, you know, maybe get a little bit more experimentive and mm. kind of see like maybe this person can go in a certain situation. Uh, maybe somebody like Arvidsson could like drop down to a third pair and play really well next to somebody like Nick Cousins and Eric Howla. You know, there, there's options there. And that's, yeah. that's, I think, you know, people are looking at, you know, players coming back and, and, and potentially quote unquote, you know, taking roster spots away or quote unquote ruining chemistry. Yeah. The, the other way to look at it is just Heinz has options now. Yep. Straight up. He's got a lot of <laughs> options. It's, it's a, I don't know. Is it an envious position? I think it would be, I feel like you're going to face criticism regardless of what you do, because you're either putting someone who's returning from injury in for someone who's quote unquote earned a spot. Um, or, you know, you could be criticized for that, or you could be criticized for taking that player out who's earned the spot in favor of someone coming back in. So I, I don't know that he's really got a, a, a I don't know the, uh, I think he's got the sword of Damocles hanging over him on this one. Uh, it's better than uh, past seasons and, and past situations that he can oh, be yeah. in. You're definitely but, right. Yeah, I mean, the other way to look at it is the Preds have been banged up, injured, and outplayed in a lot of games, and right now they're still in the playoffs, so they're doing something right. Yeah. Well, you know what? I needed a drink of water, so I think this is a good place to uh, take our first break of the day. Sounds good. So, Sean, you yes. know the drill by now, don't you? Uh, yeah. As mm-hmm. we go to break, trivia time. Yes. All right, you ready for you ready for this one? This is a good one. I'm probably not ready, but go ahead. All right. So Victor Arvidsson has ten career shorthanded goals. He is one away from tying the Preds' all time record for shorthanded goals. Who has that record? Do you um, do you you want me to answer that? Well, I'm going to give you a second to think oh, about it. I would like that. And then at the other side of the break, you can answer. Okay. All right. We'll be right back. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Welcome back, everybody. Sean, as uh, we went to break, I asked you this question. 
Victor Arvidsson has 10 goals, 10 career shorthanded goals. He is one away from tying the Predators' all-time shorthanded goals record. Who's number one? Now, I've had some time to think about this, and I assure you I've done no research, but I feel pretty strongly about this one. And I'm going to say it's David Legwand. It is not. Seriously? Victor Arvidsson is tied ah, with David Legwand. Okay. Legwand has 10, okay. but there's one person who has the record ahead of him. So I, f- I feel pretty good about that guess then. That's not bad. It is it is a former captain. Okay. Uh, Greg Johnson. Really? With 11 shorthanded goals as a pred. Wow. Yeah, which is pretty impressive considering those early days were yeah. uh, not, not a lot going on. Well, they were kind of playing shorthanded anyway. Yeah, I guess they were. <laughs> in, in a way, they were shorthanded every <laughs> single game. Yeah. Uh, good times oh, man wow well sean we we do have some more hockey talk okay but it's, it's a different kind of hockey talk okay so uh earlier earlier today because i was bored uh i started binging all the mighty ducks movies again uh they're they're on espn plus now okay in case anybody listening wants to take a take a stab at it take a stab at a binge watching marathon uh, and that, that brought up the question to me, cause I, I noticed certain players, you know, after you've seen it a number of times, you go back and actually try to scout the, the fictional hockey players. And, and I have some strong opinions on them. So here, here's what I want us to do. Okay. I want us to pick the best player of the mighty ducks franchise. Okay. The worst player of the mighty ducks. And then okay. I want you to give me an overrated and an underrated. Okay. Let me, let me write this down. Cause I've had, no, I've yes. had no prep time whatsoever. This is kind of, this is kind of a, uh, a shout out to Greg Wazinski and, and Sean McIndoe at puck soup. But uh, this, this happened across my mind as I was watching it today. Plus nobody sent in any mailbag questions. So, you know, I, I guess that's a good thing. Well, no, I, I'd like mailbag questions. I do too. Uh, so if you have any, when we put out the call, please send them in. So underrated, overrated, and then best and worst. Oh, okay. Okay. So let's see. Best, worst, overrated, underrated. All right. Well, I've, okay. Why don't you start with, okay. with whichever one? And while you're talking, I'm going, I'm going to, I'm going to come up with, with what I think. Okay. So I'm going to go, I'm going to go best. And I'm going to go on a limb here because I think everybody automatically says Adam Banks. Right. But Adam Banks couldn't stay healthy. No. You know, you know who won single-handedly won that game in D3, the Mighty Ducks? My pick, Julie the Cat Gaffney. Oh, wow. I mean... We've seen it with UC Saros and Pecorine over the past decade. If you have a good goalie, you can steal games you have no business being in. And no, you're you're exactly right. Yeah, I mean she's lights out in D three. Like that vars that varsity junior varsity game. I mean, come on. No, I. You know it's funny because you know you kind of gave me a little bit of heads up on this. I don't I don't want to ruin the uh, the magic out there in TV land, but. Um, 
you know, really without sitting down and looking at a list because like we, we watch Mighty Ducks movies a lot in my house. I've got two kids. They both love the movies. We've really watched the first one a lot. And when I was younger, I watched the first one a lot as well. Second one I'd seen a few times. Third one I could, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it exists. It's a movie. But, you know, when you said we got to pick the best one, first one popped in my mind without even having to think about it was, was the cat. Uh, yeah, I think the cat lady. I don't understand why, and uh, and I never will. That and I will know. I do understand why because of the magic of Hollywood. But I never understood why they brought in someone who was like a ringer in the net, and they always treated her like a second class citizen on the team. Like, oh gosh, we got to play her. Oh, she's really good at hockey. We're so much better with Goldberg. Oh, well, she also had. Uh, one one minute of game action the entire uh, Goodwill Games tournament, I mean, and it was just on. coming in to do the last save of the game. Yeah, on like a slap shot. Yeah, take the high slot on the shootout. Garbage. But I mean, but I mean, she got to shine in in the third one, which kind of brings up the question: What was Gordon Bombay thinking, sticking with Goldberg that long? <laughs> that- well, you know, I, I would love to say, you know, gosh, it doesn't make any sense. But have you ever seen a coach just stick with someone, not necessarily a goaltender, but just stick with a player for just reasons that are totally unapparent to anyone who's watching the game? I yes, have. Matt Irwin played well, for so many games. Yeah, I mean, it's it's crazy. Uh, you know, there's just there's just some coaches that get a player stuck in their head and they're like, nope, this guy's playing every time. And, you know, Goldberg, give me a break. Uh, you know, come on. Well, it's funny you say that because my pick for worst is Goldberg. Really? It is. I mean, he was a goalie who's like diving out of the way. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I mean, tell me, okay, this is this is Goldberg, the goaltender. All right. Gold, Goldberg, the defender in D3 had some redeeming moments. Scored the game-winning goal, also some decent minutes. But Goldberg, the goaltender, right? Name one like one moment from those first two movies where he like stole the show. And I'm not talking about being like the the acting fun steal the show, right? I can't. No, he he, he he was like diving out of the way. Yeah. Like you imagine know, like Twitter today if like <laughs> like Malcolm Subban for the Blackhawks tomorrow just has like a three on O breakaway, skates backwards and points towards the empty net like you're modeling a prize on the price is right. Right. It's yeah. it's trash. He's trash. It's not gonna go over well. No. Alright, your pick for worst. You know, I was kind of undecided on that, and I, I hate that it seems like we're going down the list just agreeing with each other, but Goldberg is the worst on the team. No doubt about it. And I think his badness is only magnified by by Gaffney's goodness, if that makes sense. I, yes. I don't even have, like, some, like, crazy, you know, tangent to go off on. You're just, again, like you said, take any player today. I mean, they don't even have to be a goaltender. But take any player that when the net's empty just goes and says, here you go. I'm not even going to stand in your way. Net's wide open. Take a shot. Yeah, they would get. Sergey Kostitsyn, maybe. Well, maybe. But they would get they would get destroyed in social media quickly and probably in the locker room 
nobody would ever think that what they did was okay. <laughs> I like how we're, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I like how we're thinking of the Mighty Ducks in the context of how would social media <laughs> react. I mean, can you imagine like Stephen A. Smith if uh, Dwayne Robertson did the jump off the bench to <laughs> lasso rope a player in the middle of a game? <laughs> can you imagine like that conversation on Sports? Oh Center? man, I don't know. No, that I was... don't know what this man is doing. <laughs> can't can't wait for weekend? NHL on ESPN. Yeah, it's gonna be good. I think you know you just I just you gave me a good idea. And I don't know how we could work it out, but we we need to set up a time when we can we could watch the the, the movie together mm-hmm. and record it, and then you also get everybody else on Twitter to watch it at the same time, and everybody just tweets about it like it's like it's a live game. Did you do so? It sounds like you pitched an OTF movie night, and I'm 100 percent down for that. Okay, I have no idea how to make that work. Is that something uh, we could do? I think that's something we can do. Absolutely. Got to okay. get the uh, the live stream up and running. Yeah. I think we can make some magic happen with that. Yep. Big time. All right. Uh, let's go. I want to save the spicy take for last. So let's go most underrated Mighty Duck. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to let you go first. <sighs> Now, okay, define underrated. So underrated is not like... Go ahead. Well, I, you know, I think, I think underrated, and I think, I think my initial thought is this is someone who um, contributes to the team a lot more than people realize. Um, But, you know, then maybe someone say, well, you know, this is someone who just gets overlooked all the time. And I, I don't really know if there's a difference between those two. Um, but I, you know, I'm going to say this, I think the most underrated player on the team, and maybe it's controversial. I don't know. I'm going to say it's Fulton Reed. I'm going to tell you why he has a dramatic impact on that team from the moment he joins it. And he kind of exists as the heart and soul of that team. Definitely through the first movie. Um, you know, as, as he goes, so goes the team. And I think, you know, he's, he's loyal to the coach and he recognizes that they have something special going on and he's willing to go in and play whatever role they ask him to play. To me, that's, that's, that's who you want on your team. It's funny because I was thinking of Fulton Reed as an overrated player. Really? But, but when you say it, like you just said it, you you have a point. Hmm. I mean, he, he does have an impact on the team. He's like kind of one of those, uh, you know, maybe a good comparison for him would be like Chris Chelios from, yeah. uh, you know, like the late 2000s Red Wings. Yeah. Like was kind of pylonish, but was just a good personality, good person to have in the, the locker room. The heart and soul of the team. Yeah. And I think he just, he also had like some hits. Like if you go back and watch like, one of the, like I think it was D three, like they're have like they're shooting like the goal celebration for some of the players, and you just see like Fulton Reed. Go back and watch this. This happens. Fulton Reed like standing over two opposing players, like sprawled out on the ice, doing one of those like flex on him celebrations. 
I like that. This is an actual scene that you notice. It's in the background, but it's like everybody's like celebrating a goal and like this this implication that Fulton Reed just decked like two high school kids <laughs> who were like now like unconscious on the ice. But yeah, some somebody needs to go back and find that one clip. But for me, I, yeah, I was gonna say that. Uh, I was gonna say Fulton Reed overrated. Um, well, that was supposed to be the spicy take. That's that's not my that's not what I was going for. Okay. Um, I, I I have a spicier take than Fulton Reed. Okay. Uh, my underrated. There's there's two people I'm really thinking of. You know what? This is our podcast. I'll just say them both. Uh, Guy Germain and Connie Moreau are dangerously underrated Mighty Ducks. Yeah, that's fair. Because they do all the scoring. Yeah. Like, seriously, like, Guy Germain, like, watch Guy Germain from, like, the first Mighty Ducks movie. I mean, he's, like, the star of the team. Like, there's, like, the, you know, the championship. Adam Banks scored that one goal. Like, he was implied to be, like, the best player, but then he got knocked out. Adam Banks has been, like, injured in, in two Mighty Ducks movies. That's kind of his thing. Yeah, he's like the PK Subban of uh, the the Mighty Ducks. Um, but that was, that was ugly. I mean, it's accurate, but that was ugly. Well, I mean, trying to think of like another player who's like disappeared due to injuries. Well, that's or, like, fair. Came in with hype and then vanished. That's fair. I don't know. There's no, but yeah, I mean, Guy Germain was like lights out. And then like Connie Moreau's like scoring all these goals, yeah. like fantastic. Yeah. yeah it, 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 as the, the, the rise of the ducks in that first movie, especially they are the ones who are consistently doing what needs to be done on the ice. You're right. Yeah. So, uh, show some love for, uh, Connie and G. I think that's the, fair. The, the power a couple of the mighty ducks movies yes besides charlie's mom and whoever he was like pimping her out to oh no well no okay that was the other thing i wanted to bring up did anybody else (laughs) find it weird that like charlie conway is trying to set up his mom no i don't think that's weird no he's like he's like talking with his coach who he hated five minutes ago and he's like you know my mom is single well, but here's the thing. How many guys has she brought home that are just awful? What does he say? You know, everything's fine and great. And then they meet me and then it's, it's Splitsville, right? You know, he, he's trying to have some kind of hand in who his mother ends up with. He wants to find someone who's not going to be afraid of being around him. And if it's somebody that he likes, that likes being around him, that's just a win-win for him. I don't see it as weird at all. Yeah, but okay. So here's the other part of that. So she gets with Gordon Bombay. Right. They're, they like fall in love. That was the big climax. Uh, what like a year and a half passed, I think, between like D1 and D2. Uh, and how do they open D2? They tell it, it's a throwaway scene, but Gordon Bombay and, and not Hans, his brother. Jan. They're they're talking and Charlie's mom got remarried. Yeah. In that one and a half year, yeah, it it happens. And then and then you she's know, like, then then what? She's single again in the in the third one. What's going on here? She 
from what I can tell, she doesn't have a good track record um, choosing a partner. Is she like the is she like the Tony D'Angelo of people like a oh, fictional man. like people in the dating well, pool in is Duluth, it, Minnesota? Is it possible that she's just finding all the Tony's D'Angelo that are out there? She could. I don't know. Maybe that, maybe that was like a deleted scene. You know, Charlie's no. sitting at the lake and it's like, well, he brought up his podcast. <laughs> I, I scored my first goal in U14 and he came on the ice and stole the puck from me. <laughs> oh, he said it was normal. He, he said, said it was normal. Yeah. You're sending it off to be framed. <laughs> Comes back with a uh, bar stool <laughs> sticker on it. And, uh, oh, man. Just punches him in the locker room. <laughs> Tells him it's rookie hazing. <laughs> exactly. Oh, man. <sighs> okay. So we've, we've gotten to overrated. Yeah. Do... That's, that's... Th- the spicy take here is the that what you're take. is that what you're waiting for? Yes. So <sighs> you're gonna make me go first, aren't you? Yes, uh, because I kind of want to see if we have the same one. Because I think we might have the same pro- thought process. Uh, you know, you know, it's, for someone to be overrated, it means they have to be rated very highly. I think you know, it's it's not very. It's not very easy to say that someone, I mean, let's, let's take an example. Let's take Averman, right? Averman, he's out there. He's doing his thing. He's not very funny anymore. He probably wasn't then if I recall, but you know, like he's, he's never just absolutely horrible, but he's also never like carried off the ice on everyone's shoulders because he's done heroic things. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, you couldn't say someone like Averman was overrated unless he was out there doing Goldberg stuff. Right. And then they treated him like a hero correct yeah for sure i mean he's okay. not yeah i mean yeah i, I would I'm, say I'm that's just fair. i just think there's there's a lot of people in here who just there's a lot of players they, just, they they go out they do what they need to do but they're also you know no one is is trying to acquire their rookie cards or get their autographs they're just they're role players right so i think if you're going to be overrated you you have to be celebrated Ooh, that rhymes look at that there you go um way, but, way to go uh run the jewels yeah thank you um just a regular bill shakespeare over here but um i I guess the thing is you know you take the players that are rated very highly on the team and what's funny is okay so you look at the original movie you've got a lot of players that are that are there um you've only got a few that are, are rated very highly but then you go to the second movie and you see a lot of players that come in very highly touted right you know, they bring in, they bring in, uh, they bring in the cat, they bring in Dwayne, they bring in Ken Wu, you know, you've, you've got Dean Portman, you've got Luis Mendoza. You've got a lot of people that come in and it's like, Oh, we're bringing in the best of the best. So you have a lot of opportunity there for someone to be very highly overrated. Right. But this is a lot of setup for this spicy answer. Well, but my thing is, do any of those players come in and just disappoint? Do any of those players that come in so highly rated come in and just, you know, they're just terrible. No. And what, what did, what did Ken Wu do? What, what didn't Ken Wu do? He could turn the world on with a smile. Okay. Did, did he turn the world on with a smile? 
Well, no, but he he did some really cool spin moves, and then he yeah. was a little bash brother. Come on. Yeah, so that that's it. I mean, well, it, I mean, he elevated his game, right? He scored one goal, I think, in all two movies he was in. And then he 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 also inspired the team through his physical play. And when the smallest guy on the ice. I think you're dying on the Ken Wu hill here. Okay. Well, maybe it's a hill worth dying on. (laughs) Okay. Anyway. But, you know, why was was Ken Wu brought to the team? It wasn't because he was outstanding at hockey. It was because he he was quick and he could get through, you know, small areas and do the whole Rocco Grimaldi thing. So, um, you know, maybe he's not one that would qualify as, as being very highly rated as a hockey player. So, you know, let's let's just kind of focus on the original Ducks, if that makes sense. So you're, you're looking at the original Ducks. All right. You know, we've we've talked a couple of times about uh, about Adam Banks. Right. Right. Banks, the cake eater. You know, he's he's coming from uh, he's coming from the Hawks. He's supposed to be just just lights out. But like we said, he gets hurt a lot. He's. Definitely, I wouldn't say celebrated once he gets to the Ducks. They like him. They finally acknowledge that he exists and is part of their team, and he's accepted. But is he is he ever like he's not like the guy? Like who's the guy on the team? Who's the who is the heart and soul of this team? I mean, are you asking from a gameplay standpoint or from like how the movie is standpointed? from how the movie is standpoint. I mean, it's Charlie. I feel like it's at the center of every movie. So if you've got every movie revolving around Charlie Conway, this guy should just be an absolute lights out baller at hockey. Shouldn't he? It's taken, it's taken like 15 minutes of setup, but I think we're finally agreeing on, on the answer to this. So are you saying that Charlie Conway is the most overrated mighty duck? I am saying Charlie Conway is oh. the most overrated Mighty Duck. Wow. Is wow. that is that what you're saying? That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying too. Tell me why. But here so first off, he was basically the star of the first movie. Like kid star. Let's, yeah, let's put it that way. Clearly Emilio yeah. Estevez is the star. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, we you have that Breakfast Club rub, so Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, I think Charlie Conway did like three things, like three cool things the entire series, like from an on ice standpoint. But I mean, like his, his, he was the center of the first movie. He didn't do anything until the, the shootout goal. Right. And if you, if if I may remind you, his teammates didn't even want him to take that shootout goal. Very true. If you if you remember, the line was, "All right, who should take it?" Everybody said, "I think Guy should take it," and everybody cheered because Guy Germain is underrated. Right. And then it was Emilio Estevez, Gordon Bombay, who said, "What about Charlie?" Man. Probably be, probably because he wanted to be the the good adoptive dad figure. Yeah, there. I think that's exactly the reason. <laughs> He's probably like, hey, you know what? <laughs> this kid set me up with his mom. Things are going well. 
I should probably throw him a bone. Yep. Give him a moment to forget. <laughs> How great would that movie have ended up if, uh, you know, he says, well, what about Charlie? And then you just hear somebody from off camera, Lester Averman go, what about Charlie? He sucks. <laughs> that would be the Averman line. Yeah. And then he didn't even play in like the, the championship winning tournament for the second one. Yeah. I will, well, I will I, say, I will say he heated up a little bit in the third one. I think he scored a hat trick in his, his first game as a first game as like the Eden Hall Warriors JV guy. But then, yeah, but then like, then, then what did he do? Just was a good leader. Yeah. You know, he is, he is Charlie Conway is the Luke Glendening of the Mighty Ducks. Oh, wow. Yeah. Like great, great player, okay player, but you're not rebuilding the Detroit Red Wings around him. No. Yeah. So why would you build the Mighty Ducks around Charlie Conway? I'm I'm gonna go on and I'm gonna say this, and it may be the wrong thing to say. I'm gonna say the best thing, or the the biggest way that Charlie Conway contributed to the Mighty Ducks was by giving up his jersey. How bad is that? So so Banks could come back in when returning from IR. Do you think the Preds do that uh, if they start uh, having too many players come back at once? What, pull a Conway? Yeah, like, you know, Philip Forsberg walks into the locker room, you know, holds, twists his stick and said, Coach, all better now. All better. Hines just looks at him and says, well, Phil, Phil, we've already got a full roster. I mean, at that that point, who takes the, is that like Ryan Johansson walks over there, you know, takes off his shirt and it's like, he can have my spot. (laughs) Well, you know, I, I don't know that that's who would do it, but, um, I, I don't know. I mean, potentially, but we're also at a point now in the season where there's no roster limit, right? That's yeah, true, but I mean, so we don't have, have to worry. If you have twenty it. people in a in a game, oh yeah, well in a game, you know. But yeah, I guess if you're limited to like, hey, there's these are the twenty guys we've got. That's all we could have, and then Forsberg rolls back in. I think somebody may give up that jersey. Also, you know, on the Charlie Conway point, when he gave up the jersey, no one protested. Nope, it was the championship game. No, Charlie, don't. You're you're yeah. so good at hockey. It was the it was the championship game. I mean, Bombay could have easily like, nah, dude. Averman, what have you done? Get on the bench. Yeah. Make make some quips with your little curly freckled face. Yes. Dumb keep keep head. resurrecting the ghost of Rob Schneider. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, nobody is like everybody's like, okay, well, yeah, that's a that's a reasonable choice for a healthy scratch. I feel like, yeah, I feel like if you're going into a championship game against a team that beat you, what was it, like 10 to 1, the yeah. that first that first game they played against Iceland? Yeah, I, I mean, so. I, feel, I feel like there should have been more protest if Charlie Conway was like no, the glue Charlie. that held that team together. Yeah, they're, no, they, you know what, they're, they're done with Charlie at that point. They don't care anymore. What NHL team would uh, Charlie Conway be a fit on? Huh. I feel like he's a player that would just wind up on the Florida Panthers. Yeah, 
and and he would he would get hot for a minute and everyone would be yeah. like whoa this guy's great and then they'd probably trade him somewhere. he'd have like he'd have like an 18 goal 12 assist season yeah and trade and him at the deadline like, yeah. he he would sign like a four year like 3.5 million dollar a year contract with like calgary the next year and then yeah, and like never hear from him again yeah and then and then be on waivers the next year next thing you know he's like a cattle rancher Exactly, or or playing in the uh, AHL. I like with the cat with Matt Bolesky and David Backus. No, I like the cattle ranch thing better. The cattle ranch. Yeah, I don't. I want them just. I want them to be completely. And the, they'll do like a like a, a feature, like catching up with with Charlie Conway, and they'll be like, "Oh, so why'd you choose cattle ranching?" And he's like, "Well, I made some bad decisions here in Calgary, and wasn't really that good." Why not uh, duck raising? To support his old uh, his old mascot. Well, what would you be doing with the ducks that you were raising? I don't Wouldn't know. you be raising them to eat? Duck? I mean, I what guess, a, but what other purpose? Just is there just have like duck? a just have like a little uh, kiddie pool in the back with ducklings. Oh no! So I was like, I meant like he was like a big time. Oh, like farming like, duck? No, 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 no. No. Oh, like he's just. He's a cattle rancher, and he just has a few ducks on the side. Yeah. Oh, that's fine. Yeah, he can do like that. Like play I thought, things. Well, yeah, okay. I don't know. Have you ever? I played mean, with a duck if, when I put it like that, it sounds bad. But have you ever played with a duck before? Uh, yes. They can't catch like worth I mean, anything. Ducks. Well, Charlie Conway can't play hockey worth anything, so they have something in common. Well, there you go. Great point. <sighs> well. This was a great Mighty Ducks discussion. It was. It was. I feel like that's a perfect note to end the podcast on. I like that. Oh, yeah. I like that a lot. You hesitated. Did you have a? Did well, you have another point? I, I thought we could throw some trivia out there. Okay, throw some and, trivia. And maybe, and look, I, I'm just going to assume that everyone who clicks on the podcast has listened this far. Um, and they've they've stayed with us to the end. And they're they're thirsty for more. And they've said, you know what? Uh, if there's a trivia question at the end, I'm not going to cheat on it at all. And I'm going to guess online at the uh, the four check pod account, and they're going to guess the answer to this question. But I, I want to know if anyone knows who Aaron Lore, who is the actor that played Dean Portman in the Mighty Ducks two and three, who is he married to? Who is his famous spouse? Well, I know the answer, so I'm not going to say it yeah, out loud. Yeah, don't don't say it out loud. Don't say it out loud. But if anybody if anybody knows that, what I want you to do, I want you to go to Twitter, to the twitter.com and go to our our Twitter account, which is just at four check pod, and go ahead and, and tweet that answer out to us you can tag me in it that's at scsotf um i'd like to know if you can come up with that without cheating i mean i feel like people are gonna cheat well that's fine just don't do it don't tell me you cheated yes uh take some magic out of it yeah well, that is that's a good way to end the podcast yes. on right there. Yes, because yes. because I want to see if uh, want to see if anybody comes up with this. Yep. It's also a good sign that people listened. Yeah, I'll just be here on Kinwoo Hill waiting. Yes, <laughs> hopefully not dying on it. 
Oh, I don't know. It's worth it. Uh, the we go from uh, Bunker Hill to Kenbu Hill, the two the two deadliest hill disasters <laughs> in uh, American history. Exactly. Uh, all right, Sean. Well, uh, tell the tell the fine people where they can find you. Well, uh, as I already mentioned, you can find me on Twitter at scsotf. You can of course find my writing at um, on the forecheck, which is uh, our website. It's on the you can also catch me on the Renegades of Puck radio show every game day morning at 5 o'clock on 560 AM in the greater Nashville area. Uh, I have nothing cool like that, uh, but you can find me on Twitter at underscore NS Morgan. Uh, although I should say I'm uh, doing a little uh, social media hiatus for the time being. Just uh, just clear the old uh, mental health slate. Not a but... bad idea. But every once in a while, you'll see me tweet something snarky. Uh, you can also, as always, find my work at on theforecheck.com. I uh, have a couple of pieces dropping this week. I don't want to spoil it, uh, but it is a fun little historical look back. So uh, be on the lookout for that. And uh, on that note, we'll uh, bid you guys good day. Enjoy your week. We'll be back here next week uh, talking about all the happenings from this weekend's Chicago series. Oh, yeah. It'll be fun. Yeah. We'll see where we are in the playoff race. All right. It'll be fun. I hope it will be fun or painful. Either one. We'll uh, tune in to find out. See you, everybody.